Hello, TSF family. We wanted to start off by saying thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast and for your hard work to love yourself more and for your feedback. Can you believe it's been three years that we've been doing this spiritual fix and it has been such a beautiful labor of love for Anna and me. We have loved doing this work. We've loved hearing from you and we love exploring ourselves and each other alongside our listeners. We wanted to put out the call for three ways that you can help support us to support you. One, we would love you to leave us a review on iTunes or follow us on Spotify. Two, drop us an email and let us know how much the podcast means to you. And three, you can donate monthly or even just once to our PayPal patronage. Every little bit helps and we are so grateful to those of you who have donated already. Thank you. You help make this podcast possible. Thanks, y'all. You can go to our website, www.thisspiritualfix.com for information on how to pledge as well as to email us. Hello, TSF family, and welcome to episode 20, season four of This Spiritual Fix. Today, we are going to be what we thought was finishing our trauma series in part four, but what will now be part four of five, covering healing. Enjoy. This spiritual fix. Two mystical mamas hacking the self-help game. With Anna Stromquist and Christina Wilson. Hello, Anna. Hello, Christina. Trauma <laughs> 4. We're here. We've made it to the healing episode. Thank the fucking Lord. No, yes. I'm actually not thanking a Lord. I'm thanking the Lordess. <laughs> thinking myself and you and all of our listeners. Yeah. Yeah. So we have a lot to cover today, don't we? In terms of everything that's going on, all the things that we're going to cover in terms of different therapies and different ways of kind of we found to deal with trauma and also that we've like, you know, have found work for other people for dealing with trauma. And I kind of want to start off the episode of like talking a lot, talking a little bit about the the kind of process that we introduced with shadow work, which is access, awareness, process, and remembrance. And to kind of remind you guys what that is in the, in the context of shadow work in particular, is access is all about the door that opens, right? So it's listening to a podcast, it's, you know, it's having something come into your roundhouse, into your wheelhouse that makes it so that you're like, oh, I think that there might be something here for me because it keeps coming up over and over again or something like that keeps happening. Awareness is where we're talking about how we look at all of the places, like once we've kind of gained access and we've chosen to step in through that door, we can then look and say, okay, this is awareness and I'm going to expand the awareness of how this has affected my life, how it's affected my behavior, how it's affected anything around me. And I'm just going to start to explore. I might be asking other people about it, about asking other people about like, hey, have I always done this? Or was this the way it really was? Because this is the way I remember it really being when I was younger or something along those lines. And you're kind of expanding. It's more of a mental kind of almost investigative investigation of of what it is and how this shadow piece has affected your life and then kind of moving into the process pieces where you're like okay i recognize i see how big this is and i see how it is and i'm 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 wanting to be able to process it and heal it right so process is another word for healing and then remembrance is like the soothing balm that kind of comes onto it which is like hey can i i, I want to see this within the bigger context of of the world or the 6D or the 5D or the, you know, bigger self, as I would say, you know, in terms of, you know, what, am, what is the remembrance part of this it is, how can I like look back and kind of, as we would say in business, you know, kind of do a, uh, a postmortem on this process and look back and be like, hey, or a retrospective, I should say. But, but, you know, this process can be applied to trauma healing as well, because trauma healing is effectively shadow work. It's it's kind of a subset of shadow work. And, you know, one of the things that I kind of wanted to point out are some like really important distinctions in this process when you're dealing with trauma work. So I'll give you guys an example. And this is mostly in the area of awareness is I think where this can kind of 
become more specific. And I want to talk specifically about labeling and validation because, you know, I'll give you guys an example. I have been through a, and I'm going to talk about this more next season, but you know, I've been through a real journey of understanding my neurodivergence. At first I thought it was just ADHD. And then the more I look into it, the more I'm starting to self-diagnose as, you know, SPD, which is sensory processing, processing disorder and, and possibly mild autism as well on the spectrum. And, you know, that's a really crazy thing for me in the sense that I kind of always suspected it or I kind of used to joke about it, but then I used to just, and then I never really realized it. But the more that I'm learning about it, the more that I'm finding that for me, there was a significant amount of trauma that I had as a result of, of kind of whatever kind of neurodivergence, whether, whether I'm labeling it or not as a specific thing, you know, there's a specific amount of, of, of self-abuse and trauma that happened as a result of me not knowing this for a very, very long time, not kind of knowing this aspect of myself for a very long time and kind of just singling myself out as being different or, you know, why am I so quick to anger or why am I so overwhelmed so easily and kind of like suppressing those aspects of me. And for me, labeling has been something in my awareness that has really helped to be like, okay, I can actually like, I can, I, I can kind of put another level of, of, of of sorting you could think think of it like sorting of the awareness of my process to be like okay this kind of actually helps me because right now if i look back at you know or a couple of years ago if i look back it was just this huge mess of trauma and it was really hard to kind of unpick that and be like where do i even start from that but labeling in some ways kind of helps you know for me if i can say okay well you know, I, I have, you know, I have ADHD, for instance, then I can be like, oh, okay, well, all those times that I couldn't focus, and I just, I, I used to, you know, I didn't receive any help for it, or and I didn't understand it, like, that helps me to understand and kind of pull out all those pieces. It's almost like pulling out a string in your awareness to kind of like look down that string and be like, oh, yeah, okay, I get this. The other thing is validation. I think validation could be a part of either processing or awareness. But I think that it's really, really important to to get out of your head and to get into the world and be like, hey, this is what I experienced. I could be wrong about my memory. And obviously all of our memories can be hyperbolic or exaggerate and things like that. But like really finding the validation with someone who you trust and respect and who like, you know, feels unbiased is a really, really important part of this. So we'll get into this more and about how those different things are, but I just wanted to pull out labeling and validation specifically out of this process and how it can be used for trauma as we go into all the different trauma therapies. Anna, did you wanna add anything to that? Well, I just wanted to say that maybe some people who aren't externally referenced need external validation, maybe like that might not be a universal thing. I know you and I are externally referenced, but I know plenty of people who aren't. We talk about that in the NLP episode where like you look unto the world to validate your experience and then other people look into themselves and how they feel. Right. And so it, that might not be universal. I know it's definitely true for you and me. That's really interesting. Yeah. In which case then the need for internal validation is there. So whether I gave examples of ex external validation, but we could also say, okay, well then it's internal validation, right? To be like, Hey, I'm just going to validate my experience and be like, yeah, that happened yeah. right within my parts or whatever it is. I and know. obviously we'll get more into that as we get into this episode. Well, we're going to go into a lot of different therapies today for trauma. And some of these Christine and I have experienced directly. And some of them we don't know that much about. We're mostly just learning about through research. We want you to do your own research then on, on the ones that we haven't directly experienced, right? Now, before we recorded this episode, we touched base with our channel, Archangel Michael, the MVP of the show, and he wanted us to organize these in terms of light therapy or dark therapy. Now, some of them are both. Some of them are bridges between both. Like, for example, meditation could be light and it could be dark, you know, body work. If you're doing Reiki, that's light. And if you're doing, say, cranial sacral therapy, that could be dark. It's interesting you said dark work because it says shadow work. But I didn't correct you because I was like, is it dark work? And I was like, yeah, it is dark work in some ways. Like, I mean, we talk in, about shadow, light, and dark in a previous season and how in some ways the dark is the, the experience of like what we would call evil in the three dimensions. And in some ways it is kind of dark work, isn't it? Like the things that are under that list are kind of like 
recognizing the evil that exists. Would you say that that's the case? Or, the, or yeah, I guess I should probably rephrase it though and just say shadow work, right? He wants me to say dark work. I, 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 I think know. he wants you to say dark work. And I think okay. that that's important. Yeah. Right. Okay. So for whatever reason, he wants me to designate these as either light therapy, dark therapy, or both, meaning they bridge either like depending on, you know, the day, the time or what method you're using, they could, they could serve as both. So we're first. Okay. Could the both be shadow or can you test that? Yeah. Yeah. Both is shadow. Okay. Okay. So if you want more clarification of what light work is or dark work, we have a whole episode about it, but essentially light work is we're trying to elevate the vibration and raise you up and shadow work or dark work is we're trying to take the head, the baggage off of you so that you can then rise up. Right. So it's just a little bit of different approach. One we could say is you have a light dimmer light work is, you know, turning the dial. So you, you, you shine brighter or you feel stronger, healthier and dark work. We could say would be going to the light bulb and scuffing out all the, the dirt and dust on the light bulb. So it can eventually shine. brighter. Yeah. Yeah. I would say, I would say too, that, that we have exposure to like, and I, and I do clearings all the time for people with with tethers to the darkness, right? And in some ways, becoming aware of those tethers and then disconnecting them, which is the process part, is is dark work, right? Because you're basically having to like become aware of the darkness that is within you and kind of, and so I can't, I can't necessarily extend it to your analogy, but that's kind of what I'm saying is that like, it, it's, it's a recognition of, of the breadth of our human experience and past life, whole life, you know, like kind of the whole being, in all its incarnations. Some of these, you know, you might be like, how's that light work? Is it dark work? Those bitches are wrong. We might be wrong on some of these. Okay. Just disclaimer. Like the <laughs> Those bitches are wrong. Those yeah. Bitches cool. are wrong. We okay. would love to hear about it. We would love to you send us yeah. an email and if tell you, us. If that. you want to, yeah. If you want to challenge us, like, no, that's dark work. Fine. Open for yeah. debate. Here we go. Okay. So the first one I'll talk about in the category of light work is something called tray, which is trauma and tension release exercise. It's a somatic body-based practice. Somatic means putting you in your body and it's been used for people suffering from stress, anxiety, trauma, or PTSD. It's not that popular. There's not a ton of research on it. There is research that in people with MS, multiple sclerosis, that when they did this work, it showed improvement in their vows. It decreased their fatigue level. It improved sleep. And then when they've done case studies on this, it's helped veterans overcome PTSD and other people who have done it report great things. But again, there's not a ton of research on this. So just, just letting you know, this is one of the less research-based things that we are discussing. And what it is, is basically, if you've heard of Kriya, Kriya is when you have your Kundalini is open. That's the spot at the base of your sacrum. And as that energy rises up, it shakes you bought your body shakes and you burn off karma, right? That's the idea. Now, animals understand this intuitively that shaking helps burn off stress and shaking burns off tension. So like a great example would be you see a do two dogs get in a tussle and when they're done, they both just kind of shake their themselves off or like a dog waking up from a nap. When they get up from the nap, they kind of shake themselves off or even ducks on the water. You'll see two ducks attack or two geese attack. And when, when they're done, they shake from head to toe, like head to tail. And it's really cute to watch it, but shaking is a normal thing. And, and when you're stressed out, shaking it off, like literally shake it off, 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 shake it off, you know, like shaking it off is an yeah. awesome thing. So it's a very cost-effective treatment. It's, it's something you can do on your own. It's recommended to start off with a practitioner. If you're not familiar with it, I myself taught myself it by watching YouTube videos. I don't necessarily recommend that, but it has definitely shown in case studies to decrease fatigue and burnout, decrease the intensity of trauma memories. Basically what it is, is it's, it's a step-by-step -step process where you put yourself into these different body positions and you fatigue the muscles, and then you lay down on the ground and you put your heels together, which is connecting energy. They don't say this because it's scientists giving this out, but I, I understand it's like closing the circuit and energy. And then you lift your butt up in the air. And basically what happens is your sacrum starts to shake and vibrate. And before you know it, you have tension release on parts of the body or the whole body at once will start to shake involuntarily. This is called Kriya. Yeah. In and Hinduism. Mm -hmm. in, Hindu in Hinduism, it's called Kriya, which is the release of this pent up energy. And in this vein, it's called tension release. You can try it. I think it's awesome. When I'm doing a lot of shadow work at the end of the day, before I go to bed, I'll do 10 minutes of tray. So I love it. And that's one. 
And it's interesting because when I do healing work on people in the days of recovery afterwards, especially if we've done like a really big release, I'm always clearing out there the, the, there's like, I would think of them as like exit points at the bottom of your feet that basically all the energy goes back into the earth, right? Because the earth just recycles the energy that had, you have late, you know, you have like labeled or been like, this is my, this, this is my, this, like it takes it and it just recycles it. Right. And so therefore like the meridians on the bottom of your feet and being able to walk around in the grass or walk around in the, you know, even, even just walking around in the grass, even if you're not doing tray, like those exit points are incredibly useful for basically dissipating energy that is wanting to leave the body, but maybe stuck or maybe slowed down along the way. So basically you complete that circuit by walking ba barefoot on the grass, by walking barefoot on the ground and you're able to, and then by completing that circuit, you're basically combining your electromagnetic field with that of the earth and therefore facilitating it and trade is something very similar. All right, next, we are gonna be talking about a couple of the things that I've been doing with Jay Fields. I've been in her Yours Truly class, which I've mentioned at least once before. She, We interviewed her at the beginning of this season, and we are gonna be interviewing her again next season because she's got a lot of really, really interesting stuff. And I've just completely enjoyed her class because of the fact that you know, at the beginning of the class, we do things that basically regulate our nervous system, right? And we kind of test out all these different techniques that she has for staying in the body. And I think that, it, or, or staying regulated. And, you know, what I was channeling just as I was about to like kind of prepare the session was that, you know, in a lot of ways, it feels as if light work, to me anyway, is keeping the body balanced and allow, which means allowing the waste systems to happen in the way they need to. So similar to Trey, similar to things, it's allowing the waste systems to happen. But, but ultimately, when we are seated in our body, when we are regulated and we're using all of our systems, our body naturally cleanses itself, right? It's naturally keeping itself in balance and it's naturally constantly kind of pulling the things out of the, out of the, the auric field and pulling the trauma out of the auric field that needs to happen, right? Which is why these, you know, kind of light techniques are really good for, for possibly dislodging things, but they're using the systems that the body has anyway, right? So one of the things that Jay does is she talks about how to regulate the body and make sure that you're in the body, because when you're in the body, you can be the wise, she calls it the wise adult, but we call it the self in IFS. Okay, so tapping is an example of what I'm talking about in terms of using the body's, the balancing the body's energy system in order to be able to, to relieve anxiety and, and tension and any, and depression and any of the things that, that kind of come about from not having a balanced ecosystem within all of your system of bodies, like within all of the things that are happening within you. And um, EFT is, for instance, is a specific example that is emotional freedom technique. It's basically an alternative treatment for physical pain and emotional distress. And what it does is based on the principle of the fact that we have meridians and energy lines that run through our body. And sometimes those meridian and energy lines can become blocked or sometimes you can stimulate them in such a way that it will allow the body's natural systems to go in and clear out something or to kind of draw attention to it. So similar to how, you know, the immune system works, if you talk, think about the white cells and how they're able to find whatever it is. And obviously like sometimes you have to stimulate an immune response for things to even recognize that there's something wrong. EFT is kind of like doing that with the outside of the body. So you're tapping points. One of my favorite ones is that you can tap your third eye and it stimulates the body to release fluoride that's built up in your system. So some people just do that as like a general one that they're finding. And then, you know, I won't get into EFT in general, like it's good to go to a specialist who does it, but it's a, it's a very effective way of basically stimulating a point kind of like with acupressure or, you know, obviously if you were to use needles acupuncture to basically stimulate the meridian system in order to help to release trauma as well as to stimulate the natural cleansing and balancing processes that the body already has. Awesome. My turn. All right. So I'm going to talk a little bit about bilateral stimulation right now. This is also a light technique and I'm going to talk about EMDR and also crawling. Okay. So before I go into those bilateral stimulation is basically when you stimulate both sides of the brain, 
you can do this with reciprocal movement, such as crawling or say moving your eyes back and forth, or even listening on two sides of the ear. We want, it can be very soothing to the nervous system. So we're going to put a little soundtrack in here right now. So you can just hear how soothing it is to have sounds coming to the right and left ear. And this will be heightened if you're wearing earphones. So EMDR is actually an evidence-based practice, which is to say that there is a ton of research and a lot of evidence going into this. this we do talk about, you know, hokey pokey. We do talk about foo-foo or what do you call it? Woo-woo. Woo-woo. We talk about woo-woo <laughs> stuff on this show all the time. And, and a lot of that, woo, a lot of woo-woo stuff is not evidence-based. And a lot of it is just kind of like, this could be the thing you need. This woo-woo treatment is the one thing that you really need. It really suits you. But you know, we, you administer that to a thousand people and it's only going to help one or two of them. So when we say evidence-based, we mean like you give it to a thousand people and a statistically significant amount of people are going to get something out of it. Right. And I would argue that science in terms of its evidence-based study is oftentimes five or six steps behind the leading edge of people who are like, I need something that works for me now. And I'm going to go and test all these things. And hey, this really works. Hey, friend, this really works. And, and that person's like, yeah, this really works. And then science is like, five years later, we're going to do a study to see if psychedelics are actually good for your brain. Right. And then, you know, and then that's what happens, right? And then it gets validated. So I would argue that there's kind of two sides to that, right? Is that evidence-based means that it's been studied, but it could just be because it's it's taken a while to, to gain the legitimacy to even be considered by the scientific community to be studied. Right. And then there's a lot of variables that can can tweak the studies too. So like, for example, the people listening to this podcast are very spiritually minded and spiritually focused. And I think they're going to be very sensitive to things that the general population isn't. So yeah. just because the general population isn't getting something out of this doesn't mean you won't, right? Exactly. Because the general population is a lot more asleep and a lot more living in their 3D body than say the people who are, as Ainsley McLeod would say, spiritualists, you know, like on the spiritual path. So Anyways, going into EMDR, EMDR is eye movement desensitization and reprocessing, and it is the gold standard of treatment for PTSD. They use it in the VA hospital, the veterans hospitals here in the, in the U.S. Okay, so what is EMDR? EMDR is a powerful therapeutic intervention, which is a used to address a range of mental health challenges. It can be used to address anxiety, depression, panic attack disorders, and as we said before, the gold standard for PTSD. I'm only going to just give the basics, but basically it's eye movement. So you move your eyes back and forth, like right, left, right, left. And what it does is it can basically soothe you. And so what a session like this looks like is say you're talking to a therapist and you're telling your trauma story, but as you're doing it, your eyes are going back and forth from, you know, right to left back and forth, either because you are being stimulated by lights that you're supposed to follow, or say the therapist is holding a pen and moving it back and forth or, you know, around. And there are two theories why this is so, why this works. And one is talk therapy in general. Like one is that, that this is soothing to the nervous system. So you're able to relax more while you tell your story and telling your story, talking about your trauma is the form of exposure therapy, which we're going to talk about soon. And just exposing and talking about it in itself is the therapy, right? Now, a second theory is that this mimics REM, rapid eye movement. So the idea is that when you sleep, your eyes are moving back and forth and there's some sort of integration and processing and therapy happening when that happens, right? So for example, you, when you, like when you dream, you are you're processing and basically digesting a lot of the events of the day. And that's one of the reasons why people wake up from nightmares is it's like, you're stopping REM from happening. Like it's too much. It's just too much. So, you know, in a, in an ideal world, when you start lucid dreaming, you can stay asleep during your nightmares. And that will actually help you process the thing that's coming up in your dreams because you are able to let the eye movement then kind of clean it out. And if we're looking at the brain, we could say that it has a lot to do with the hemispheres. You have your right and left hemispheres. For example, when I remove the right side of my body, the left side of my brain lights up. When I move the left side of my body, the right side of the brain lights up. So when you're doing bilateral stimulation or cross-body 
cross body movements, you know, right, left, right, left, things like that, reciprocal movements, you're, you're kind of bridging these gaps in the brain, right? And that's why it's so important when you have a baby to keep bringing their hands to the midline, right? You want to bring your baby's right hand across to their belly button or across the left side of their body and vice versa. You really want to strengthen these, these circuits between the brain. Right. So and that, why, and why babies who switch, who skip crawling can sometimes have issues with, as a result of not having the proper bi bilateral stimulation, right? Yeah. We're going to talk about that when I talk about crawling. Yes. Exactly. Okay, cool. But you know, it's interesting really quickly. Nightmares, waking up from nightmares is like a flight response, right? Because you're literally leaving the world, right? Right. It's just like too much. Yeah. Now I have my own theory about why this works. Aside from the REM, I do believe that that's a theory. This is my own theory and I've not seen it anywhere, but we have 12 cranial nerves. Cranial nerves are nerves that actually come out of the brain and they're in our face. You might've heard of them. They're, they're things that are, have a lot to do with say facial movement, smelling, tasting, hearing, things like that. Now, not all of these cranial nerves are motor. They're either sensory, meaning they, they receive sensation or their motor, meaning you can control them and, or they move the muscles or they're both right. They're not all the same, but the, the, but the, the cranial nerves responsible for eye movements, there's a lot of them. Cranial nerve three, four, and six are responsible for motor eye movement. And then cranial nerve number two is responsible for sensory, which is like, you know, vision. So I believe that eye movement is so important because you're actually, it's like a bridge straight to the brain because, you know, when I move my hands and feet, it's not a, a I don't have a, a one direct nerve going straight to my brain for that. There's like a lot of different circuits that are happening, but, but when you're moving things in the face, it goes straight to the brain. So I feel like this eye movement thing is a wonderful way to just like quickly get up there. Right. And then I have a theory hypoglossal nerve number 12 is also motor, which is like ability to move your tongue. And there's also sensory nerves having to do with taste that are cranial nerves. So my theory is, although I don't have it yet, is that maybe they're going to eventually find like, instead of EMDR, they're going to find TMDR, like tongue movement, you know, is going to also be a way to rapidly process trauma. Like if we can like put a piece of gum in our mouth and move it back and forth. So we're eliciting taste and motor while we're, but how do we tell a story with that? I mean, I don't know. Or maybe that's why telling the story while you're doing the eye movement and not just thinking of it is so important because your tongue is moving. That's you know, really interesting. That's probably it. Maybe it's yeah. it. But anyways, I, I think the cranial nerves is some sort of bridge there. And then I want to talk a little bit about crawling because I'm a physical therapist and crawling is super, super important. When we see people who've had traumatic brain injury, let's say they've had a stroke or they've had some object hit their head and they're not able to walk and half their body isn't working, or let's say they even just have a neuro impairment, we will put them on, like, I will put an eight-year-old man on the floor if he's able to get back up and make him crawl. Crawling is so, so important to the brain. Not only is it doing that cross body hemisphere interaction, which I was talking about right and left sides. It's also doing upper and lower nerve tracks of the spinal cord. So crawling is so important because it lights up so much stuff in your brain. And I joke that like my kids didn't learn to walk till they were two. They're actually probably closer to 18 months because I never encouraged them to walk. I wouldn't push them down if they started to walk. Like I didn't discourage walking, but I never encouraged it. I didn't hold their hand. I didn't encourage them to do cruising. Like I only encouraged crawling when they were babies because I wanted them to light up their brain as much as possible. Okay. And like Christina said, if you, they skipped crawling and they do like that army crawl, or I call it the quasi-moto crawl, like where they're like, and they just kind of drag their little tush across the floor. They can have a lot of problems later with either learning to read their studies for on that, just other things. So you really want to keep, you know, encourage if you have a baby or a toddler, them to crawl as much as possible, because that reciprocal pattern is just so great for the brain. It, it helps develop proprioception, your spatial and kinesthetic awareness. It helps in, enhance and connect the left and right signs of the brain. It helps with focus, it helps with tension and stress. And it's a wonderful way to reboot your nervous system and reintegrate the mind and body after traumatic brain injury. But what if we incorporated that with trauma therapy? So like one thing I love to do is after I've done a lot of work, like trauma work, shadow work, light work, whatever, and I've come to like some great aha moment or something, I will get down on my hands and knees and start crawling. Or like if I have mom, I know I look ridiculous. I don't fucking care. I'll get I on my hands. <laughs> I'll get on my hands and knees. And like when I'm doing my mantra work and I'm saying my mantras, I will get on my hands and knees and crawl while I say my mantras. Cause I'm like, I want my, this new belief, like in my brain, in all parts of my brain, you know, like right, left, upper, lower, like everywhere. 
I really encourage if you're doing mantra work, if you're physically capable of doing it, get on the floor, crawl when you do it. If you're having a bad day, get on the floor and crawl. Like sometimes when my, my daughter was, you know, studying spelling words or, or her multiplication tables, I'd get her on the floor and have her crawl. And I would read her out her flashcards, you know, like there's just so much amazing stuff that lights up in the brain when you do that. And I just wanted to put that out there. Crawling is awesome. And if you go on TikTok, you can type in crawling therapy as a hyperlink. And there's some great people on there talking about how they use that in their traditional psychotherapy as they're talking to their other patients. And I think that's so cool. Okay, your turn, Chris. No, I was just going to say, I love that so much because one of the things that I teach kind of, and one of the things that I do in my healing sessions is that I use the physical body. There's like a bunch of kind of what I would call like the neuter bodies, right? They're kind of, they're gender neutral, even though the physical body obviously can have a sex, but it's like, it's a, it's a bridge point between the masculine and feminine side. So the feminine side being the emotional and the masculine side being the, the mental and, and using crawling on the physical is just to me, ah, uh, uh, it's just chef's kiss. I love it. Thank you. Thank you for that. <laughs> um, all right. So I'm talking about aliens and gurus, which, you know, crawling EMDR stuff. And then let's just like throw in aliens and gurus. Okay. So the thing is, is that there are a lot of things that we cannot explain in this world. And there are a lot of things that work and we cannot explain why one of the things that i've told as a story so many different times with anna when we first started kind of our text self-help conversation that obviously turned into this podcast was you know i was experiencing massive postpartum depression after the birth of my daughter and anna had young kids had a young kid as well and so it was like she was texting me and she's like i heard about this thing called the arcturians and the Arcturians have this therapy, the golden cylinder therapy that you can basically call <laughs> down and you can ask Lord Arcturus and he will, he'll do a healing on you and you can do that. And she's like, I'm going to do it. And I was like, sweet, I'm going to do it tonight. And this was at a point when my daughter was so young that I literally had no time, no time at all without nursing my daughter. Like we were having so much trouble breastfeeding. We're having just so much trouble. Like it was just, I was in it. I was in it in a really, really difficult way. And I, one night I like got, you know, when my husband had started trying to put my daughter to sleep, I sat in my little nook in the house that I had built and it was like a bed nook. And I was like, Lord Arcturus, please, you know, give me golden cylinder therapy. And it was like, whoosh. I was like, holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I feel that I haven't felt anything other than pain and and depression for weeks. And I could feel this energy in my body. And I was like, this is fucking amazing. And I remember Luke came and interrupted me and I was like, don't interrupt me. I was just like some inner part of me was like, don't you dare touch me or come anywhere near me right now because I am experiencing this like healing right now. And it was just, it felt so amazing to feel something other than whatever. And I was like, I'm so grateful to you, Anna, for doing that because I feel like that day was the day in which my healing from all of the trauma of birth and all the trauma of that stuff and like going on this path and realizing that, um, you know, us realizing that we were psychic and channeling our first books and all that kind of stuff all started that day with an alien called an Arcturan to yeah. actually help with light work. So my first experience with the Arcturians was that day, you know, and then I went and I lied down and I did the thing that you're supposed to do. Like I put myself in alpha. We have a whole episode on how to do that. And then I made a grounding cord. That's the second step. And then the third step is you imagine that your heart chakra is a flower that blooms. And then once it's full bloom, you call upon Lord Arcturian, Lord, Ar Lord Arcturus or whatever to give you the gold golden cylinder therapy. So I did it and I'm lying down my eyes are closed. And I swear to God, I feel like four beings in the room and they're like doing surgery on my body. Like I can't explain it, but it felt like hands were going inside me and things were being prodded and pushed. And I was like, I'm not imagining this. And God knows I'm not opening my eyes. I'm not fucking opening my eyes. <laughs> such a weird feeling to feel like other people in the room and then like feel hands and tools going in and out of my body. And I was just like, I'm not opening my eyes because I was kind of scared. Like it was kind of, it was like so unique 
unique and weird. I was kind of scared of my eyes. And one thing they spent like the majority of the session, it was still in like 15 minutes. And they spent like 10 minutes on my shoulder blades, like working on my shoulder blades, working on my shoulder blades and doing all this stuff to my shoulder blades. And I was just like, whatever, whatever. And then like, when it was all over my eyes and I was like, okay, that was interesting. And then fast forward like two weeks, I ended up having like a major Kundalini experience where I felt energy shoot up through my, like, just, I'm just walking there. I think I was changing a diaper when it happened. I'm just like, you know, it shot up from my Kundalini up my spine and it spread out of my, my shoulder blades, like a fan, like wings, like bright. And I actually thought I was going crazy. I called Sati and Raja, who's one of these episodes we interview him because he, he's like my mentor in a lot of ways. I called him up. I said, Sati, and I think I'm going crazy. I just felt energy shoot out of my shoulder blades. Like I feel energy, just like wings coming out of my shoulder blades. What the hell? And he's like, oh, that's a Kundalini activation. It's okay. You're not going crazy. And I Googled it. And sure enough, one of the signs of Kundalini activations, like the first sign is that. So it was like totally aligned with stuff. Like I wasn't going crazy. And I swear that the Arcturians were preparing me for that energetically, like that surgery that I felt in the golden cylinder was them preparing me. Now, how does that relate to trauma therapy? I mean, I don't think you can ascend like that without removing trauma and shit. So I don't know what they were doing in there, but they were doing something I'm a fan of alien therapy. We we use someone named Charles who also provides therapy. I'm actually doing a 12-week course with a woman named Leanne who channels the Galela Collective. And that's some alien beings. I don't know who they are, but I don't care because they're awesome. We're going to be having her on the show later and you cannot miss that episode because these beings, are good. they are amazing. But yeah. I wanted to talk a little bit, although it, although it's your turn to talk about aliens and gurus, about what the Galela Collective told me about trauma bonding, if I could share that real quick, because I feel yeah. like anyone who listened to that episode might have been stirred. So I had a session with them this morning, and I told them, you know, I was like, you know, we're doing a whole series on trauma, and a lot of memories came up of when I was in a narcissistic relationship, and there's just a lot of cognitive dissonance, like... On one hand, I don't believe that there's victims, it's drama triangle stuff, and we all choose what we want in the world. And yet on the other hand, I feel like a total victim. Like I feel like this person manipulated me and gaslit me. I didn't have words for that then, but like that person was gaslighting me and abusing me and manipulating me. And I want some validation, like Christina was saying. I want some validation that I was abused. And I want it just just like it's really hard to have one foot in that canoe of like 3D. I was a victim, I was abused, I was trauma bonded. And because I repressed a lot of that sadness and stuff. And then, you know, hating that part of me, hating the part of me that stood around that, that let myself be treated like that. And then the other side of me being in the 60. And they were like, first of all, you don't need our validation. If you were gaslit and manipulated and your boundaries were crossed again and again, you were abused, like point blank. Okay, you don't need our validation. But they're like, number two, we want you to know. They kind of like talk me about, talk me about the prodigal son. You remember that, Christina, in the Bible, the prodigal son, it's like that guy, I think it was Esau and someone else. It's like the father had the two sons and one left and came back. And when the other one came back, he was more praised and well-received than the one who was always there. Mm -hmm. The point is they were telling me, you know, we come into the physical body to experience human life, experience the 3d. If we wanted to be connected with source all the time, we just go back there. We just go back to that plane. We wouldn't be in the physical body, but we come into the physical body to experience what it is to, to remember who we were, right? To experience ourselves as love. And how do we experience what we are without experiencing what we are not? Conversations with God books go all into this. And basically we are the prodigal son coming back to ourself. And so we must experience contrast in order to experience who we are. And what better way to experience yourself as powerful than without, than without having first experienced yourself as powerless. And so- the human part of me that needed validation and connection from something outside of myself was with me to only teach me that when you seek for that outside of yourself, it's always, it's like a ticking bomb. It's always going to end up without the desired outcome. I have to look for that validation and connection inside of me, right? Like I had to experience myself as powerlessness and needing something outside of me to make me feel good, to realize that that doesn't work. So in a way it was a gift to show me what my boundaries were and to also provide contrast so I could see myself as the powerful one, right? Like I couldn't be powerful if I wasn't first powerless. And, you know, abuse 
creates contrast and it allows you to come home to your own power. It shows you what you can and cannot tolerate. It is, and in the, in that part of you that stays in the abusive relationship is like your child. It's like the girl goddess of you. And it's, it's, it's actually a beautiful gift as horrible as that sounds. I know that sounds really horrible, but it is the human part of you. And then you need to come to learn to love that part of you. It's like, there's a part of you that hates yourself for being in that relationship. Let's love the part of you that desires powerlessness. Let's love the part of you that desires separateness because there is a human part of you that wants to be powerless. There is a human part of you that wants to be separated because ultimately it knows that you need that for the contrast. So I feel like the reason why all this repressed stuff is coming up now, years later, is because I need to integrate and love the part of me that desires separateness. That makes sense. And that's coming from aliens, guys. So yeah, evidence-based practice, maybe not, but is it helping me? Hell yeah. And, and also the interesting thing that keeps coming up when you say that is that the part of you that loves separateness is the one that wants to still hate you know what I mean? It's like, it's, it's, it, it's it hating itself. Does that mean it's, it's like a snake eating its own tail because the one that, that wants to maintain separateness is the one that's basically creating the worst version, like something that's worthy of hate and separateness. Does that make sense? Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we didn't, we didn't touch on gurus, but I'll give you guys an example of you know, one of the things that happened when I first met Anna in like the first year that we met was that is that she, her partner, who's now her husband at the time was seeing a man who was one of the 108 gurus who could perform Shaktipat, which was the opening of the Kundalini in the base of the spine. And that's an example of kind of light work in the sense that a Kundalini activation could be something that basically I mean, I can tell you that after I had Shaktipat, I I would I was having a lot of nightmares. I was having a lot of different things coming up because basically it was bringing into my conscious awareness things that had that were being blocked in my Lini channel that was basically sitting in my chakras and and the the kind of trauma that was being stored in those energy centers was coming out as I went through Shaktipat. So you know, it was a light practice that then stimulated a dark practice and a lot in a dark healing and processing sort of thing. So that's mm-hmm. an example of a guru. And I feel like in the same category, it's also like born agains, like born again Christians. Like you might have someone who their guru would be Jesus, or you know, it's Christianity, or and and they have this born again experience that changes them. It, it brings a lot of light into their life, you know. So there's that too. Okay, so I'm gonna do three more light work techniques. Um, one is nutrition, and that sounds funny. Like, why would my nutrition have to do with trauma? But I myself have found that by following a specific diet where I avoid grains, dairy, and sugar, my hormones are more stable, my mood is more stable, and I'm able to more efficiently do my trauma work. There's a lot of research out there saying that Parkinson's and maybe even Alzheimer's begin in the gut, right? So there is a huge connection between what you eat and what you think. The vagus nerve is connected to your gut, which is your gut health is connected to your brain. And there's, there was a study in UCLA that indicate that the composition of your gut microbiome can be indefinitely impacted by intense trauma that, that can then change the wiring of the, the gut and the brain. They found that that people who had a history of trauma in their early lives had very distinct and different gut microbiomes from those who had similar digestive issues, but no early life trauma. And so there are studies that show that stress has a relationship on your microbiome and that severe childhood stress can affect this microbiome and that people experiencing longer, more significant issues with their digestion might have had trauma. So basically like without going too much into the science of it, they're, they're very well is hypothesized to believe a relationship between your gut health and your brain health. So why would eating help you? with trauma. Well, I think you can alter your microbiome. You could physically alter your microbiome by changing what you eat. And therefore you might be removing trauma from your body or just making yourself healthier in general so that you can then do your trauma work. And I myself believe I have cured my PMDD with IFS and nutrition. And I highly recommend eating healthy, drinking enough water, stop eating crap, and an anti-inflammatory diet. If you can't do the grain-free stuff, obviously I'm not a nutritionist, seek out a nutritionist for that, but just an anti-inflammatory diet, which is basically the Mediterranean diet has also been shown to help with neurological disorders like Parkinson's and MS and other things. So 
there is a relationship with between food and the mind and the mind with trauma and stress. So I, I really encourage you to consider what you eat to be part of your trauma healing. Yeah. It's interesting to, to say that, like, if you can't necessarily afford non-crap, maybe you're living in a place right now where you can only afford crap, right? Like, so to speak, especially in America, since the cheapest food is the food that is, you know, the most available and it is not very good for you, you know, even blessing your food. Okay. So going into the woo category of like blessing your food and kind of making it so that, that, that you have as much love and light infused into your food. Even if you're drink, eating totally amazing, really expensive food, blessing your food is a way in which you can infuse light into the nutrition that comes into you. And that can also help. It's not obviously on the scientific side, but it's something that I just want to say in terms of like the nutrition of what you're intaking, blessing your water, blessing your food, things along those lines are things that can help to support and nourish your body so that you can then release the trauma more easily. And you're not just like constricted and right. not wanting to release anything. And you can get a magic marker and just write on your water bottle or write on a pitcher of water, those angel codes. I'll put them in the show notes. You can put these healing angel codes, just write them down. They're numbers, or you can write, I love myself or thank you or gratitude. You can just write beautiful things on your, on your water vessels. And then you're drinking in this infused water. That's another way. If you forget to bless it all the time, you know, and then also again, some, here's some evidence-based stuff research-based stuff, not woo-woo stuff. Exercise has been shown to physically improve mental health. As you know, my job as a physical therapist, I highly encourage people to exercise. It shows that on average, a person has 3.4 poor mental health days per month, but those who exercise, it decreases by 40%. In 13 studies from four countries involving 431 patients, they found that by administering exercise over a 12-week period for 30 to 60 minutes, their PTSD symptoms were reduced significantly. And there's just a lot of evidence out there that exercise enhances mental health, and it also can reduce PTSD symptoms. So get out there and do your 30-minute walk. Yeah. And, and, and also, free. yeah. And, and also, when it comes to exercise too, again, on the woo-woo side, which is more for me, is like recognizing the fact that mudras Mudras is again, coming from Hinduism, but mudras are basically practices in which you create holds for the energy systems in the body. So you have hands that move things along those lines, like the cl classic mudra that everyone can think of is, is connecting your forefinger and your thumb. And then you have the three fingers that come off of that. And everyone's like, oh, that's your own, like when everyone's doing a stereotype of that, there are so many different mudras and holds that you can do within the body, even if it's not necessarily traditional exercise, but that you can stimulate different systems within the body to be able to cleanse themselves as well as to be able to um, nourish themselves or release energy that is stuck depending on these different holds mudras things like that things that make you feel more empowered stuff along those lines so the body is capable again like we were saying of, of of accessing those different channels and different spiritual and energetic channels that you can then use so you know understanding that the power of what your physical body when even just put into a hold of some sort like a mudra basically being a hold or a banda is a hold excuse me a banda is a hold and a mudra is like a is a hand position but it's not necessarily only hands which i found out when i was in india that some yogis do dick mudras which I thought was very interesting. I don't know if you knew that. Yeah, someone showed me once. Let's let's. Okay, well, let's not get into that. Okay, cool. All right. But, so, but but me as a but I just want to be in here. Like me being the tough love that I want to be. Do mudras are great and all. Okay, great and all. Please do thirty minutes of exercise a day. If you can. <laughs> Please don't be lazy. Please get yeah. up because it's not just PTSD. This can help improve so many other things in your life. Like get up and move thirty minutes a day. It's it's. It's so important. I can be bare about it, like run away from the bear. You know, you're going to die earlier if you don't. You're going to get Alzheimer's early if you don't. Or I can be cared about it and be like, you're going to be so much happier if you do it. But just please, please, please exercise. Guys, it's good for you. All right. We've just realized that because of time, this is going to be two episodes. So it's now a five-part series. Yep. <laughs> and now we're going to slow down a little bit because I feel like we've been rushing, but we're just like, there's no point in rushing now because we're going to have two episodes. All right. So now we're going to talk a little bit about antidepressants. So, you know, one thing we've talked about before is you have alternative therapy and you have complementary therapy. Alternative therapy means instead of what my doctor's saying I should do, I'm going to do this. So alternative would be like, instead of doing chemo radiation for my cancer, 
I'm going to go hang out in the golden cylinder with the Arcturians. Okay. That or would be do vitamin C intravenous therapy. Right. That's okay. More physical. Yeah. And me coming from a science background, I'm going to say, please don't do alternative therapy. Please do complementary therapy instead. So complementary therapy is that you're complementing what your doctors are telling you to do. So in the case of cancer, say you're going to do chemo and radiation, but you're also going to go sit in the golden cylinder. So complementary means also and alternative means instead of, okay. So I just want to clarify that, that, that Christina is a little more woo woo than me and she might advocate alternative therapies. And I'm, I have one foot in the science world and one foot in the woo woo world. And I'm going to say, do complementary medicine. Okay. Right. So, yeah, so yeah. You have that, you, the, uh, the uh, but just as a, just as an, as an inter intercession there, no, that's not the right word, but you know what I'm saying? When I studied herbalism, in New Zealand in particular, the law was that herbalists could only offer complementary help to cancer patients. So like, for instance, cancer in herbalism is extremely regulated in places where you actually receive, at least in New Zealand, where you receive, I'm pretty sure it's the same in Britain, where you receive licensing for being an herbalist is that you have to be very, very specific about the fact that you are only offering complementary to existing allopathic cancer treatments. So just as an aside, that was where my training came from. Very <laughs> of course, cool. I've gone very far away from that in some ways, but still, still an herbalist, but yeah. So one of the things that we talked about so much in those episodes is how trauma can actually change the structure of your brain, right? It can actually cause physical changes. And so it's not, might not be enough to attack your problems on an emotional level or talk therapy level or exercise level. Like you might have to actually make changes to the brain, right? or changes to your nervous system. And that's where antidepressants come in. Okay. So I want to talk a little bit about antidepressants because I myself take Lexapro, which is an SSRI. And I love it. Like it's definitely helped me in a lot of ways. And that might not be for everyone, but I'm a fan of antidepressants now. Anyways, that being said, so that being said, let me just explain a little bit what a nerve synapse kind of looks like. So do you know, so a neuron basically looks like a flower and then it has a long little stem. And then on the other hand is another flower. And then, you know, one nerve talks to the other nerve, like one nerve branch talks to the other one by sending neurotransmitters between them, which are kind of like keys that fit into certain keyholes. Right. That makes sense. You know, this, right. Is this common sense stuff? I don't know if it's common sense stuff. I was pre-med, so I, I know some of it. Okay. But I always thought it was really interesting. Can I just say like the fact that there isn't actually a direct connection, it's like a conversation. It's like one part of it releases a chemical and then the other part can choose to uptake it or not. Mm -hmm. It's very much so like a conversation that happens between like the synapse and kind of the biochemical process that happens in a nerve. I always thought that was very interesting. Right. Like, that there had to be a reason that that structure was so unique and it wasn't just a direct connection. Right. So that being said, when we talk about reuptake inhibitors, basically, Inhibit means to, to stop and reuptake means that that nerve isn't going to take that key in. So reuptake inhibitors are basically saying we're closing the, the lock on the key. We're, we're closing that keyhole so that you can't absorb it. So there will be more in the system. So SSRI is a selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor, which is basically telling the body, don't uptake the serotonin, leave it out there. So there's more in the system. All right. And these medications generally cause fewer bothersome side effects. One of the most common one is decrease in sexual arousal or ability to orgasm. Th th that being said, the, the ones that fall into the category of SS SSRI are fluoxetine. I'm going to use the generic names because that's what people know them by. Prozac, Paxil, Pexiva, Zoloft, Celexa, and Lexapro. Okay. And then you have something called SNRI, which are serotonin and norepinephrine reuptake inhibitors. So those are things like Cymbalta, Effexor, XR, sorry, Effexor, Pristique, and Faxima. Then you have atypical antidepressants, and these medications don't fit neatly into any of those other categories. And the ones in this category are Trazodone, Trintelix. Viperide, bupropion, which is Wellbutrin, and Wellbutrin is not associated with those sexual side effects. Right, because it's a dopamine reuptake inhibitor. I is it? Yeah, because I okay. took, I tried to take Wellbutrin for a while. Yeah. So it's depending on like what your issue is. Is it is a dopamine issue? Is it norepinephrine issue? Is it a serotonin issue? Like I know that I have 
PMDD, which is that my body actually stops producing serotonin after a certain stage in my cycle. So for me, I needed an SSRI, right? I needed a serotonin based one. And, and it's interesting because I took Wellbutrin because I wanted to see if I could get a, a one, two hit with the depression and that I was experiencing as well as the ADHD symptoms, which is why a lot of people take Wellbutrin because of the fact that it's a dopamine reuptake inhibitor and it may have an effect in actually helping you concentrate and like, and kind of reduce the symptoms of ADHD there. So that's just yeah. like a side effect side. It didn't end up working for me because it was too strong. And then you have tricyclic antidepressants. These are kind of more of a last resort if the first two didn't work because they, they have more side effects than the newer ones. And those are things like tofranil, pamelor, and norpamine. So that's kind of, this is like the, the we, we need to kind of do something more significant. Yeah. And more significant side effects. Then there are monoxamine oxidase inhibitor ones, MAOIs. These are things like Parnate, Nardil, and Marplan, and they can be prescribed when the other ones don't work, but these can have very serious side effects and they require strict diet because certain interactions with foods, like certain cheeses, pickles, and wines can actually be deadly. And, and I also want to put out there that if you are taking an SSRI, then ayahuasca and, and other psychedelic medications might have a deadly interaction with them. And then just funny side effect that antidepressant side effect can also be suicide. So just putting that all out there that, you know, if you are doing trauma work and is getting to be too much, I, I want to advocate, like, don't feel shame. If you need some medical intervention, you know, there might be things going on in your brain. It's like, you know, you, you experienced trauma for 15 years in your childhood and there are some structural changes in there and medication will be the thing that helps, you know, the great example they say is like, are you going to deny an, a, a diabetic their insulin? Like their body's not producing insulin because their pancreatic cells aren't working. Like, are you really going to say, you know, use a mantra, you know, like, I just want to say, like, I don't, I know that there is some, I don't want to say villainizing, but in the, in the spiritual world, there is a lot of, a lot of super spiritual people are kind of anti-medication. Yeah. There's um, a hierarchy. Can, there's a supremacy that says that, oh, my mind is strong enough to not have to do this. Right. Yeah. And then, you know, mind over matter stuff and like, literally look down on it. And some people, like I had a friend tell me that she won't take it because her husband says that it's a short, not a shortcut, but like a, but he said shortcut in a bad way. What's that term? Cop out. Oh yeah. It's a cop out. Right. It's like a, I don't know. I don't know what the term was, you know, but it's like, you know, some people think that medication is a cop out. And, and I wanted to say, if you need help, ask for help. Also, I, yeah. And I also need to say something really important with this because I know I've seen, I've, I've worked with people who this has happened to, and I've kind of usually steered them away from this is that a lot of us, before we get into any spiritual paths or any trauma work, whatever, we, we treat the symptom right or we treat we, we basically go on to antidepressants because you know we expect we had a super shitty childhood or we had or whatever or we're going on to you know adderall because because we have adhd and we actually need it things along those lines there's things that we need but then also there are possibly symptoms of trauma and unprocessed trauma that have made it so that we have been on antidepressants for years right and if that's the case don't just stop your antidepressant because you feel like you've done a massive amount of trauma work like go through the steps of like because in some ways it can feel liberating it can feel like a real like oh my gosh i'm gonna stop this thing i'm gonna i'm gonna stop doing my ssr i'm gonna see how it goes because i've done so much work that i don't think i need it anymore and that may be the case right but there's a very good chance that like you still need to step down off of this and you still need to like give yourself and your body the experience of doing it because otherwise there can be a lot of different consequences so please you know if part of this trauma work if you if you're able to uncover something if you're able to to do a huge piece of work and you think that maybe you don't need it as much then talk to your doctor and make it so that you can step down off of that and really test that and you are not a failure if you still need it it does not mean you didn't do your work. I want to throw in one more thing, which is just kind of like, you know, the whole treating the symptom versus the problem. Like if you are taking a antidepressant, I really hope that you try to solve the problem at the root cause. You know, maybe you never get off the antidepressant. I don't know if I'm ever going to get off of mine. And the truth is, I think that I just, it's not, a, I don't want you to treat it like a cop-out, but I also want you to know that if you are taking an antidepressant, there might be trauma work to also do. 
Okay. Yes. Yes. And, and I think that's the thing is that, is that the trauma work can be complementary to, and not necessarily alternate to. So using your same, you know, things that you're talking about. And, and one of the things that we find too, is that, you know, I, I mentioned earlier that for me, I would go for the lowest doses of antidepressants and still not be able to take it because I could feel its action in my brain. Like I've always been kind of hypersensitive to, to drugs anyway. And so I tried Adderall for ADHD and I tried Wellbutrin and it would be really intense at first and I would try and kind of stabilize out. And then I found that I was so exhausted by the end of the day just from taking it that, that for me, it wasn't necessarily something that I was there, which is why for me, I chose due to my hypersensitivity and kind of due to whatever that I chose to go the psychedelic route, which is something that we're going to be talking about at the beginning of the next episode. And we're also going to have a bonus episode on my kind of ketamine experience. But for me, I chose ketamine because I wasn't really the best candidate for being able to have a regular antidepressant. So I was like, okay, well, I'm going to try a, you know, medically regulated psychedelic to see if I can't actually get to the heart of my neuroplasticity and all the different things that I can talk about when it comes to ketamine treatments in particular. Well, I can get to the, the, the root of trying to reroute the ruts that have formed in my brain in terms of how I deal with the world and kind of how I feel with the world and on, on a regular basis, which is what psychedelic treatments can do when it comes to treating things like anxiety and depression, as well as doing the kind of shadow work. Mm-hmm. So today we talked about light therapies, basically therapies or treatments for PTSD that can raise your vibration or just help you be healthier to process it. We talked about tray, which is trauma and tension release exercises. We talked about vagal nerve stimulation, tapping, EMDR, aliens, guru, nutrition, exercise, crawling, and antidepressants. So these are all things you may or may not want to research further or try them out obviously seek out a professional if that's required for whatever therapy you decide to do. I just wanted to say something really quickly because I actually just, this just dropped in with a response to like light and shadow and dark. So in herbalism, there are three different kind of modalities of, of life, right? In the sense of like, of, of, of philosophy. The wise woman modality is nourishing right? It doesn't seek to cleanse anything. It doesn't seek to remove anything. It's just like, hey, if you nourish the body to whatever extent you're going to be able to, to support, the body's going to be able to support itself and be able to go through its natural processes. Shadow and dark work are more along the lines of what are called the hero philosophy, which is all about cleanse. I have to cleanse my body. I have to cleanse my body. I have to kind of like, you know, kind of do things. So dark treatments are more along the lines of like, I'm cleansing my body. And then obviously allopathic are the other ones. So to add on to what you were saying about light shadow and dark of like, in some ways, the light therapies are those nourishing ones that are like helping you so that you can feel safe and comfortable and not in a survival mode to be able to kind of go forward. Whereas we're going to be talking next time about more of the hero and like, how are, how are we taking these like, kind of bigger steps or these kind of really big things to be like, I'm going to cleanse myself or I'm going to change, reroute my brain or something along those lines. Right. And then I'm going to take the baggage off. We've talked about a lot of stuff today. We've talked about the light work and nourishing processes that you can have. And next time we're going to be talking about more shadow work processes, things that are more kind of either surgically taking something out or like really going into the darkness of that, of that space and kind of trying to look at that space, you know, kind of cleanse or purge that out of your body actively. We're also going to be talking about some of the after effects of trauma. Like once you do a process, like how are you going into that remembrance stage of like, oh my God, I, I just did this massive thing and I literally don't even know what to do because my life is so different now than it used to be and I feel lost. I've had that with people I've worked with, you know, it's, it's all, it's kind of an, it's kind of a process. You may have dreams, you may have different things like that. So we're going to see the kind of after effects of doing a major trauma work process. And then we're going to go into kind of addressing the bodies and kind of what Anna's learned from that as well as, you know, what I've been mentioning here about supporting the bodies and how the, the, the bodies can also, you can access directly different bodies depending on what you're doing. So mm -hmm. that's kind and of where we're going next week. Yeah. Yeah. And if you're listening to these podcasts in real time, and there's a week gap between this episode and the next, maybe this is a great week to try one of the therapies that we've offered today. And you can just start practicing that. And maybe Archangel Michael wanted us to present it this way and in this order. So you could have a nice foundation of light before we go into the dark next week. Yes, guys, nourish yourselves, love yourselves, support yourselves. 
Compliment yourselves. <laughs> Get it? <Anyway>. Validate yourself. <laughs> Validate yourself. <laughs> All right. Bye, y'all. Thanks. Thank you for listening to this episode of This Spiritual Fix. Join us next week as we finally conclude this trauma series. We hope it's been as beneficial for you as it has been for us and that you are finding some healing of light in this week in between. And remember, humility, gratitude, acceptance, done. Let me tell y'all a riddle. There are four girls and four apples in a basket. Every girl takes an apple, yet one apple remains in the basket. How is this possible? The answer, one girl took the basket. She took the last apple while it was in the basket. Sometimes all it takes is a perspective shift. This is my specialty, y'all, and I am opening up two spots in the next two months for dedicated journeyers to work with me to find peace, purpose, and most importantly, perspective. In these journeys, we co-create a curriculum that suits your current blocks, goals, and needs, and we use all the tools, shadow work, books, fiction, remote viewing, intuition, meditation, guided journeys, energy healing, dreaming techniques, you name it, we do it, and all to achieve a commonly held set of objectives. And if you're interested in hearing more, Book a free call with me at www.chriswilty.com forward slash discover.